Before we get started, just wanted to say that we have a new Patreon supporter. So thank you to Ian Kelling, who is a mega supporter of the show. And if you want to appear in the pre-show or at the end of the show, depending on where we remember to put it. We have not been consistent. No, but anyway, we uh, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash fossingcrafts. And choose a support tier, because if you don't choose a support tier, you will not show up in any credits, either on uh, Terminal Phase or on the show. But anyway, now it's time to start the show. Hello, and welcome to Foss... Wait, sorry, that was... That was like. Did slow. you forget it this time? I didn't forget it. I just got. I forgot the cadence of it. All right, let's try it again. Hello, and welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host, Morgan, who did not forget how to do the intro. And my co-host, Christine, who claims she did not forget how to do the intro. Okay, well, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about 10 Years of Geeks! A celebration of 10 Years of Geeks. Well, except that this episode, also, we kind of want to apologize for a moment, because this episode's kind of getting out a little bit late. Yeah, and we came very close, and actually, depending on how quickly we can get this edited, we might still not even make it to not getting any episodes out this month. We are going to do our best, we'll see. But this was kind of a rough month. Partly, we're doing this episode because it's kind of a, the idea for it partly happened because of an opportunity missed. I was invited to participate in Geeks' 10-year anniversary blog post with a short little... A snippet of my own thoughts and experiences, and I was not able to do that because it was kind of a rough month. Yeah, my best friend got married this month, so congratulations to Jamie and Ollie if you happen to be listening to this podcast. But they got married in Florida, and we live not in Florida. But it, it wasn't just them getting married in Florida. We were driving down there. It basically took a road trip down to Florida, and... And the day we left, we found out that we had been exposed to COVID. And then I tested positive for COVID. And then I almost died. Christine had bad COVID. Yeah, it was bad, but it was also kind of the environment that we were in. We well, were... and also when Christine gets sick, she almost never gets sick. But when she gets sick, her immune system flips out and she ends up with like, 103 degree fevers and massive dehydration and sometimes hallucinating. Yeah, so I wasn't hallucinating, but I was having a very hard time staying cool. And maybe we'll tell on a future episode the details of why that was, because it was kind of... Mm-hmm. It was situational. Situational. Other but, than the fact that it was Florida. Yeah, the point is that I was hoping that I would be able to participate in this uh, 10 Years of Geeks thing, and I... Didn't manage to make it, and then we were kind of like, oh, I guess maybe we won't get an episode out this month, and we'd like to try to get two out in a month, and then I was sitting in the bath, and suddenly I shot up and ran out of the- You had a eureka moment? Yeah, and I ran out of the bathroom, and I'm like, I know what we should do an episode about! Let's do an episode about geeks! Ten years of geeks! So that's what we're doing. Yeah. So we've been saying this a lot, uh, and maybe we should get around to, what is geeks? Yeah, so 
you might have heard people mispronounce it as Guix, which is not correct. Guix. Or Guix. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's spelled G-U-I-X, but the explanation I have heard about why it's pronounced this way is, is that, oh, well, the, the founder of the project is French, but... But then we've spoken to some French Geeks users who are like, oh, we had no clue how to pronounce it either. Yeah, so, um... I guess we should explain what Geeks is, right? Yeah, that is what I said, and then you moved on to the next one, which is how do you pronounce it? Oh, okay. Well, uh... <laughs> we'll just leave that one in. We'll just leave that one No editing on this part. It's just, it's just the way it is. Okay. So... What is Geeks? Okay, Geeks is a functional package manager and distribution uh, written in Guile. It's very similar to Nix, which it also has those same properties, but it is written in a Lisp named Guile. Uh, and that is not very descriptive if you don't know any of this stuff. So why don't we... But I think we can unpack all of those words by actually getting through the 10 points on here. Yeah. So we decided since this is the 10-year anniversary of Geeks, slightly behind schedule, we would celebrate it by doing 10 points of great things about Geeks. Yes. So what's the first one on our list? The first one, as you just spoilered, is Functional Package Manager. So, so what is that? I mean, it basically means it's package management for Time Lords, right? So you can install a package and you can kind of travel backwards and forwards in time and very easily the, the, what it means by functional package management is that this piece of software, this package, it has all of these dependencies, right? But a package that you build is specifically every time you change the dependencies, it builds a new different version of the package. And every time you change, um, and if that package is a dependency of another package, it'll build a new version of that. And because all of these inputs are very precise, you can actually have, for many types of programs, you can actually have, um, like you can have different versions of libraries living alongside each other in the way that's harder in normal distributions. But the big the big feature is kind of time travel. You can use Geeks as a package manager to install software locally. So it's for installing software, right? Mm -hmm. So you can use it to install software just for your user. But if we get to number two, I think we can talk about why you like it. Yeah, so two is functional distribution. Right, so this is being a time lord for basically your whole, you know, operating system. And this is what convinced me finally to switch to Geeks. From Debian, From right? Debian. Is I was uh, in the middle of writing my dissertation, which, as you probably know if you've listened to many episodes of this podcast, took a long time. So the middle was quite a way in. And my computer died. And I needed... Well, wait, wasn't it that we tried doing an upgrade and the upgrade broke, right? Oh, that's true. That right. Well, that had happened before um, I started writing my dissertation multiple times that we tried to do an upgrade and the upgrade broke, which meant that when I started writing my dissertation, 
my computer needed an upgrade and I was afraid to upgrade it because I could not handle having my entire computer broken in the middle of dissertating. So if you've done upgrades on more traditional uh, gaming Linux distributions or actually even Windows or OS X and stuff like that, you've probably had the experience where your computer is like, hey, you should upgrade. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I kind of don't want to do that right now because I've had some sort of bad experience where I tried doing an upgrade and my whole computer broke and there was nothing I could do about it, right? Or even just you do an upgrade and then suddenly your citation manager doesn't work when you're in the middle of a large research project. Right. So Geeks kind of treats your whole operating system like, you know, if you've used Git, it's kind of like that, right? You can move backwards and forwards in time. It's revision control for your operating system. Yeah, kind of. And that comes about because of the functional aspect of things. So like functional programming in general is about kind of freedom from time, right? Like so, you know, functional programmers tend to amaze everybody else by being like, woo, we're time lords. And everybody's like, why? How did you get that? Right. So like this is like that, but except for for managing your software. And it, it was through pretty much almost your entire dissertation Mm -hmm. that i was like which had been you know it was like years yeah so like it was like almost two years in which i was like morgan we need to upgrade your computer like we need to upgrade it for security reasons and you're like you can't well remember the previous time that you tried doing an upgrade and it broke everything and it was two years in which I was like, I'm almost done with my dissertation. We can't do it yet. And then it was like another two years before I was done with my dissertation. So yeah, there was almost some of, done is relative. It was not four years, but it was it was a way too long of a period. The point is that using Geeks, and this is also true with Nix, we're about to get to the differences of things in a minute, but um, using Geeks basically gives you freedom from time mm-hmm. to be able to kind of move back and forth. And also um, means that you can actually install multiple versions of things alongside each other and kind of experiment and not have to commit to kind of like, you know, one version of a library or one version of whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to how you can use this in multiple ways in a little bit. So I think that covers two pretty much. Yeah. Well, and just to finish that story, my computer kind of forced my hand because after like two years of not upgrading it, it decided for me that it didn't work anymore. And since I needed to get a new computer anyways. Right, there was a hardware failure. And so we decided at that point when we installed the new computer, the fear of upgrade stuff was we were done and over with that. Yeah, done with that. Yeah. So number three, it is written in guile. And again, if you've listened to many episodes of this podcast, you know that we're fans of lispy languages here. Mm -hmm. And guile is a scheme. Which is a kind of lisp. So, like, multiple levels of abstraction there. Geeks is written in guile, which is a kind of scheme, which is a kind of lisp, right? So, we actually just recently gave a whole presentation about how... So, I'm going to misrepresent things for a moment and say, well, it means that everything's written in parentheses all over the place, which doesn't need to be true, actually, because it's possible to write lisp languages without all the parentheses everywhere. But that's usually how people write them. Mm-hmm. And that is how most of Geeks is written. Um, but the, the main important thing about lisps is that they support, um, composable domain specific languages is what I like to say. So what this means is that like in contrast to Nix, 
which has multiple specific languages for doing different parts of the job, which are kind of mixed together in an awkward way. Geeks mixes everything together using this kind of one language, which is Lisps are really good for kind of embedding and kind of crafting multiple like problem domains inside of. So this also means that like you can use everything that Geeks is built for in all sorts of ways. Everything is programmable. Like everything's programmable in Geeks. It's pretty amazing. Did you just skip to number four? No. <laughs> okay, no. so number four, which is entirely different than what you were just saying. It's hackable. Okay, well... Not just programmable. Yeah, well, okay. So it is related to that, right? But um, the hackability... So this is, this is an extension of number three, okay? So a great example of this for me is what happened when... Um, I like to think two things that convinced me very early on was Mark Weaver when he implemented um, grafts. So there's a problem if you're going to, if let's say there's a vulnerability that's discovered in some sort of library, like, you know, OpenSSL, which is used everywhere, all over everything, right? And when that changes, you need to recompile OpenSSL on a functional distribution, but then that means you need to recompile all the libraries that use OpenSSL and all the libraries that use them and all the programming languages that use it and all of the programs that use those programming languages. And it's basically like you have to recompile the whole thing. And when you want a security update out, you want it out like that. But because Geeks is written in Guile, which is so hackable, in a very short period of time, Mark Weaver, and it's, I mean, also because of his great hacking skills, managed to put together a really impressive feature in Geeks, which last I looked, I think Nick still doesn't have, called Grafts, um, which means that you are able to, it's able to kind of take previously compiled versions of things, feed that in as an input to apply emergency patches to. And part of the reason that was so possible was because Geeks is written in a very hackable programming language. And another interesting example of that is, I think, kind of the suite of tools that we're going to get to more in a little bit. But when David Thompson wrote a whole bunch of these, and we're going to talk about why they're useful for development. But like, for example, the ability to boot up virtual machines and the ability to boot up um, all sorts of things. Right. So like you can you and you could also on my computer, I actually have like programs that build descriptions of distributions for each one of the computers in our house and it's basically like i wrote a little config file which actually just has a function that you know you pass in the arguments for the specific things for these variant versions of our computers and then it makes custom versions of the, the operating system i don't need to make duplicated versions of all these files i can change just the parts that i need because it's just writing code mm -hmm. right so this is what I mean by composable domain-specific languages, is that you can compose together multiple problems with just ordinary programming. Yeah. I think that we probably should just really quick uh, make it clear that we're talking hackable in the original definition of hackable. Right. And not the uh, colloquial use of hacking as in breaking in. Right. It's not that it's insecure. It's that you can develop it very easily. Well, I think that that actually segues nicely into number five, which is 
an emphasis on user freedom and we are big fans of user freedom right so talking about being able to use being able to extend and modify and everything like that that's one aspect of user freedom which is you know your ability to be a participant in the system right Mm -hmm. and that's like i think a side of user freedom that isn't talked about enough um years ago ludovic cortez who's the founder of geeks um previously worked on nix before before starting geeks um said uh had a talk at one point that i gave him a really hard time for which was called the emacs of distros but he's kind of right right (laughs) like i'm like oh this is not convincing people that it's gonna be you know something that's easy to pick up no on the other... that's not a good argument it's easy like emacs <laughs> well but he wasn't saying it was easy like emacs he meant it's hackable like emacs right like that like you can modify and extend it and that's a very practical version of user freedom the other version of user freedom is that geeks has made a high commitment to being serious about like all the licensing and legal side of things right now actually sometimes people complain about this they say like geeks is too hardcore about it you know, sometimes somebody needs a non-free version of the Linux kernel and they need, um, maybe they actually, or maybe they want to play, you know, some proprietary game or something like that. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, break the, uh, the secret, which is that there is, there are channels that you can use in Geeks that will allow you to install non-free software. One of them is called Non-Geeks and we will link to it in the show notes. It's kind of weird in the geeks community. It's frowned upon to mention that these things exist, and I think that's why. And people... we're saying it in a podcast. Yeah, oh. and I think that's actually that's the thing. I actually fully support Geeks's decision to not include proprietary stuff by default because it's mm-hmm. easier to taint a pure system than it is to try to remove impurities from an impure system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there are that in general the community is a little bit too extreme on the don't let other people know that there's these things out there when you need to basically add impurities but it's possible to do that but as i said it's much easier to go in that direction than the other direction and i appreciate the strong emphasis on both the practical side of user freedom and the legal side of user freedom Mm -hmm. number six it is both reproducible and bootstrappable Ah, so, um, yes, these are both important things. And actually, you could say one's kind of like the extreme version of the other. So reproducible means that if we have all the same inputs, we should get byte for byte the same output every time. Um, and basically, like, if you, if I download, if I had something with all the same versions of these libraries at these specific version numbers and everything like that, it should all I should always get exactly the same thing compiled every time, right? And we should be able to compare. And in fact, Geeks comes with something called Geeks Challenge, which allows you to um, compile your own versions of these packages and then see whether or not they're the same as the upstream ones. Now, it takes a lot of work, it turns out, to make things reproducible. And not all packages are reproducible, but both Geeks and Debian have made a strong emphasis on trying to make things as reproducible as possible. And I think Nix has also gone down this route increasingly over time, but I don't think it started out as strongly in that direction. Um, But Geeks takes it even further because of a project called MACE, M-E-S, which is aiming for full bootstrapability. So there is a thing called the Thompson attack. And what this means is that um, 
you know, how do you get a, a programming compiler, right? Well, you compile it using another programming compiler. Mm-hmm. And in this talk, the, the main author of Mace says in, in his talk, we'll link it in the show notes, you know, well, how do you get yogurt, right? Well, you take milk and you add yogurt, right? And like, that's like how people build compilers. Well, what if that yogurt was tainted somewhere, right? You know, mm-hmm. do you get more tainted yogurt? Well, there is a risk with compilers that there's a proven attack a long time ago that showed that if you had somebody insert a vulnerability into a compiler, it could insert that into the next version of the compiler and the next version of the compiler. And so... Sounds like a supervillain plot. Yeah, it is like a supervillain plot. Yeah, that's basically what it is. There's this paper called Reflections on Trusting Trust, which is where kind of the concerns of brute stepability were originally raised. And geeks using Mace, which is a scheme interpreter that can that has a C compiler built into it that can then compile the scheme interpreter, which then can compi- do the C compiler and blah, blah, blah. It can use that to bootstrap tiny CC, which then can bootstrap an older version of GCC, which can bootstrap a newer version of GCC. And from there, we can rebuild most of the universe. So you can mostly make sure that no one has tainted your yogurt in the past. Right. And so the bootstrapping thing is like pulling yourself up by your bootstrap. It's basically you're able to use this wonderful project called Mace, which kind of circularly builds itself to be able to kind of build this thing that is almost as if it was built from nothing. But it's really because it builds itself in this circular way. Um, So that's a pretty incredible project. And that came out of the needs and desires of the Geeks project. Even though it's kind of a separate project, it is integrated directly with Geeks in a very serious way. And lowering the amount of um, what's called the the non-bootstrappable binary, like lowering that seed, making it as tiny as possible has been a big goal of Geeks for a while and uh i think it's going to be really important and valuable in the long run yeah oh and let me say one more thing there's a reason you want uh, want all of this too right so we indicated it with bootstrap ability the reproducibility aspect of it is making sure when you're downloading programs from your distribution when you're downloading the binaries like the compiled version how do you know whether or not um somebody messed with that binary, right? It would be nice if you could compile it from source, right? So the reproducibility makes sure that you and I, when we compile it, we're getting the same thing and that can help us make sure things are safe and legit, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. So number seven, it is deployable. Right. So um, I'm happy to say that I co-mentored a project about this actually a few years ago. Um, Is there uh, something you can share in the show notes about that? Yeah. So uh, David Thompson and I co- uh, co-mentored um, Jacob Cruz, who um, gave it built Geeks Deploy, which is a wonderful project that you can use to, um, well, deploy servers and other, and actually I use it to deploy my, um, I help make sure your laptop is up to date <laughs> and I deploy your laptop, our home server, and also several servers that um, we have all from this file that describes everything that we want and basically builds it all and then like pushes out the updated version to all the machines. Yeah. So, uh, so you basically get to sysadmin our house. Yeah. And like all of this is built from a declarative description of things. So I mentioned earlier, David Thompson had done work on the virtual machine support uh, in Geeks. This means that I can actually describe the these 
machine, like these these versions of the machines, and I can actually boot them up and preview them before I actually push them out to the machines and stuff like that. Um, and you can just use all of that tooling. And as I said earlier, since it's built on a Lisp in a composable domain-specific language way, it's very possible for all of this stuff to be highly scriptable. Um, and I just think that's great. Yeah. So, number eight. It is a great way to develop other software. Yes. So, um, I try to use Geeks as much as possible for all the software I develop. And actually, there's a good reason to want to do this in that right now, developing software tends to be pretty terrible. Like, it's gotten worse and worse. And I'm serious. This sounds really like the cranky old lady. Yeah, it sounds like you're shaking your fist at a cloud here. But... I am shaking my fist at a cloud. At in the fact, cloud. cloud computing. <laughs> That's right. Well, partly what happened is that in the push for kind of modern, quote unquote, cloud computing, in the last decade and a half, there's been a big push for all of these kinds of tools that are like crashed alien technology that are like made by made really for corporations that have a whole DevOps team. Right. And everything's become these kind of undecipherable black boxes Mm -hmm. where you kind of can't understand um how the software is built they're like different package managers for each programming language um oftentimes people just hand you a docker image or something like flat pack or whatever like that you have no idea how to be able to reproduce this thing um so geeks a by having a strong emphasis on reproducibility but b through tools like Geeks Shell and Geeks Environment, um, you're able to basically use what I, I sometimes call a, a universal virtual env, which might only be a helpful description for Python developers. <laughs> but in Python, there's a thing called virtual env, which allows you to set up an environment where you have like all of these packages for development that are not installed on your main distribution, mm-hmm. but allow but where you're doing it for working on some project, right? That was basically the crux of how I did my digital humanities project. Right. Using a virtual env. Basically, everybody who does Python development, they use a virtual env for local development. But it only works for Python stuff, right? And if you're using Rust, you're using Cargo and Crates. And if you're using Go, you're using whatever the heck Go people do. I don't even know. (laughs) If you're using, uh, like, every... They they muddle through somehow. Yeah, if you're using AutoConf and AutoTools, God help you, you're probably doing sudo make install on a really terrible way of a bunch of different dependencies. But but the thing is that none of these things compose together very well if you have different programming package ma- language package managers. With Geeks, you can have one system to be able to do all of that. You can just add a geeks.scm or a manifest.scm, maybe if you're really goofy, both, uh, to your project. And users can just type geeks shell, and it'll just create an environment which has everything set up to work on the project without anybody having to really understand, you know, the details of what's going on. Geeks will do the heavy lifting for you. Um, and so that's really awesome. So I, when I'm working on projects these days, I try as hard as possible to ship Geeks.scm or whatever, be able to make it easy for people to be able to work on things without them having to know how to get all the different language components up and running, basically. Um, and the other nice thing is that, uh, since you can use, you know, Geek System VM to spin up virtual machines and stuff like that, you can combine that, right? Well, you could also combine it with Curios, I think is how you call it. Curios? Curios? Oh, is that right? I always... it, meaning like a breastplate? 
That probably is actually what it's called. I always thought Curiosity Kills a Cat. And I was always wondering no. why. Missy's sitting over there. We're not. Nobody killed a cat. No, she's uh, just angry at pillows. She's mad because we won't let her jump on the, on the couch. So uh, using the thing you just said. Uh, queer Us. Queer Us. Um, you're able to, you can use that for continuous integration, which works really nicely with Geeks. You can also um, use Geeks Pack, which is amazing. So basically, Geeks Pack is able to build uh, Docker images. It's able to build Debian binary, like .dev packages. It's able to, doesn't support RPM yet, I think, but it's no reason it couldn't. Um, there, You're able to build, uh, um, you're able to build all sorts of things. You can even just build tarballs that are built so that they can run out of anywhere. There's this wild reproducible tarball thing that Geek supports. So what's amazing is that Geeks is actually set up so that you can actually build usable versions of packages that are developed with Geeks with, that run on not Geeks systems at all, so that other people can play with and use it as well. Um, so using Geeks for doing software development is awesome. And again, it's partly because of the composable domain-specific language approach that all of these tools work so beautifully together. Mm-hmm. So, number nine, there is a great community around Geeks, and we had some good hospitality from the Geeks community when we did our recent talk at uh, FOSDEM. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Geeks' community, you know, so I've been participating for a little over half of Geeks' lifetime at this point. Yeah, actually, I guess I was about three years in, or maybe four, that I started using Geeks, and... um. One of the reasons I like and advocate Geeks so much is that the community is really nice and is really thoughtful. And, I mean, it, it could improve. Like, there could, there's always ways to go upward. Um, but it's also kind of interesting because, like, there's some a lot of things about Geeks that feel very old school. As in terms of, like, the kind of technical approaches and tools. And, like, it kind of has this, like, vision of, like you know, I guess kind of GNU for a, a new generation and stuff like that with nice people at the helm and stuff like that. Um, but the, but it's a really nice community. It feels great to participate in the Geeks community, in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then number 10, it is a great way to learn. So for me, I know that a lot of my develop learning the skills that I've needed, for example, to even build Sprightly, right? To do the things I've done over the last uh, half decade have been partly because I did participate in the Geeks community and how receptive and thoughtful and encouraging it's been to learn new ideas and etc. Mm-hmm. Um, the Geeks and Guile communities are both really nice, but they're contributing to Geeks. It's actually very very easy and possible to submit new packages even if you have no experience writing any lisp whatsoever or anything like that um it's it's pretty easy to start and get started but it also gives you this entry point to this whole other world of you know i don't know like i know so many people who have started their development of becoming programmers by just making package contributions to geeks and from there you know, started learning all sorts of really cool things, you know, started reading structure and interpretation of computer programs, started 
learning you know how to be able to hack on top of scheme and learning about all sorts of interesting things about programming history well and i think that's evident in this list of things because we've been all over the operating system here right yeah we've got package managers we've got this whole thing is hackable user freedom it's bootstrappable you can make your little mini universe from scratch you can build stuff that can be deployed for other distributions you can You've got this, like, really powerful, like, entire system virtual machine. Yeah. So, yeah, that, like, that's a lot of different directions you can go. Yeah. So I want to I wanna pause here and say, like, well, what, what do we want to give us the takeaways for the episode? Maybe you just gave your takeaway, I think. Maybe? Maybe. I think my main takeaway for why I switched to Geeks was I didn't want to have to deal with the anxiety about system updates yeah anymore and i have barely scratched the surface on most of these 10 points because as i said you're the sysadmin of our household and mostly you do that for me but there's a lot of potential there to build on yeah and i just think that Geeks has been such a wonderful project for me to participate in. It's, um, I think, as as we said, it's one of the nicest communities I've participated in in FOSS. I think it's feels like, when I think about Geeks, I always feel like it's something that points to a positive direction where I would really like to see all of free and open source software go. So I guess if you're listening to this episode, if you haven't played around with Geeks, well, why not give it a try? You can run it on yeah. top of any GNU Linux distribution. Um, and so why not give it a shot? Yeah. And there's a lot of great people in the community who would be very happy to help you. Yeah. Get started. All right. Well, that's it. All right. Thank you, everybody. And hopefully next week we'll be back to full strength with no plague and the ability to do two episodes next month yeah hopefully hopefully all right bye everybody happy decade birthday thingamajig geeks bye foss and crafts is released under the creative commons attribution share alike 4.0 international license it's hosted by morgan lemmerweber and christine lemmerweber the intro music is composed by Christine Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC0 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts, at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us, podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community on hash fossandcrafts on irc.libera.chat. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash fossandcrafts. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free. And stay crafty. gonna have me say the thing about the blog posts then (laughs) (laughs) all right okay
Structurally, I did not think this through. <laughs> yeah. Like, I figured I would talk about Road Trip and you would talk about the blog, the blog post. I was... The blog post. All right. Shut, Shut up, Christine. Shut your face. Shut up, Christine. <laughs> Get back to the show. All right. In in that happens... I, I'm in... Blech. Um... Pausing to make sure the cat's not about to destroy things. Previews of this compiled version of the... there's There it is. There's it the happened. cat. The make you here. make noise for real now. Right into the microphone. <laughs> if you're going to be disruptive, you're going to be amusing disruptive for our blooper. <laughs> I don't remember where Missy interrupted. Dang it, Missy. It's your fault. No, don't do it again. All right, come here. Stay quietly. <laughs> it's been a while since we had a Missy blooper. I'm able to declaratively describe all of those systems on my computer using a surly cat. Using a surly cat. I'm able. <laughs> do you need me to lock you in the room so we can record this episode? I don't want to do it. <sighs> okay, actually, I think I'm a podcast with a pillow. Well, 